All right. Good morning, everyone. So, um, in Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, we're learning the laws of Tefillin. And the last few weeks, we had um, Rabbi Rabin present on um, some of the inner workings of Tefillin. And I thought it'd be nice to continue the discussion. Um, we're all familiar with Rashi Rabbeinu Tam. Some of you may have heard there's also Shemushi Rabba and Raivid, which it's um, fascinating different opinions as to exactly how um, the order of the four parshias, of the four paragraphs in the tefillin ought to be um, placed into the tefillin. And uh, we're going to explain the different opinions and probably next week, we'll go into fascinating discussion as to you know, Rashi and Benatam were in the, you know, lived approximately a thousand years ago. And as did, yeah, so what was everybody doing until then? And historical records and archaeological findings um, in accordance with different opinions and, 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 and responsum and, 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 and testimonial, very interesting stuff. Okay, so. Um, so first of all, let's just start with the basics. What, are, what actually are the tefillin? So we know. Um, there are four, let's do this here. The, hold on, do the spotlight, spotlight video, there we go. Okay, so there are four, the, the mitzvah of Tzulun, um appears four times in the Torah. Um, two of them are in Parsh, the end of Parsha's Boi, which we just read at the end of Exodus chapter 13, where it starts off with the words Kaddish, in, the, in, in verse two, Kaddish li kol b'chayr, and Later on in that parsha, parsha we don't mean here parsha as in like a sedra of the Torah. Parsha means um, a paragraph. If you've ever gotten an aliyah, you'll know the Torah is divided into paragraphs. Um, so the, the, uh, each parsha means a paragraph. So this parsha is the parsha. It's called the parsha of Kadesh. The reason it's called the parsha of Kadesh is because the first word after God spoke to Moses saying is Kadesh. Um, later on in the very same chapter, we have the second one, which is known as Vahoyokiyaviyacha, again, because of the first words of, whoops, what's going on here? Because of the first words of um, that, uh, of that paragraph. Um, and again, at the end of that paragraph, it has the mitzvah of tefillin, so that's one of the four paragraphs that goes into tefillin. The third paragraph that goes into tefillin we are all familiar with, it's from Parshas Vaeschanon, Devarim chapter 6, and at the end of that paragraph it says, Somehow with this slideshow I can't also be pointing at the same time, but okay, so the last verse of the Shema is to bind them as a sign upon your hand and as a or a box between your eyes, and that we call the parasha of Shema, again, based on the first words of the of the pasuk, of the paragraph. And then the final one is from Parshas Ekev, Devarim chapter 11, which is the second paragraph, what we call colloquially, this is the second paragraph of Shema, Vahoya Im Shemaya. Those are the four paragraphs that, um, in which the Torah records the mitzvah of tefillin, and those are all also the four paragraphs into which the um, which are written on the parchments inside the tefillin. Um, now, um, so the Gemara talks about the mitzvah of tefillin in Masechtas Menachas. There is no tractate of Gemara or of Mishnah for that matter that specifically is devoted to tefillin, but the Gemara in Menachas is where the sugya is found. So the Gemara says like this. I have to move everything out of the way. The zoom and the slideshow, it's like a whole science over here. Okay. Um, the rabbi is taught in a brisa. Ketzad Sidron. Now, this is an important word. We're going to get back to it later. But for right now, we're going to translate it as 
what is the order of tefillin? Sidron, what is the order of the tefillin? Uh, of, of, the, of the four paragraphs. Kadosh li So the first passages of Kadesh and Vahoyo which are both, like we just um, showed from Exodus chapter 13, um, are placed on the right. And the second two paragraphs from Devarim chapter uh, 6 and chapter 11 um, are placed on the left. Then the Gemara asks the question that... Uh, there we go. Sorry, the came out a little bit. Thing v'hatanya ibcha. The Gemara asks, isn't it taught in the Brisa that one places them in the opposite manner, with the first two passages on the left and the latter two on the right? So we have one Brisa that teaches us to put the first two paragraphs on the right, the second two paragraphs on the left. We have another Brisa that teaches us to put the first two paragraphs on the left and the second two paragraphs on the right. Amar Abaye, loikasha. Abaye says this is not difficult. Kan. Here, in one b'risa, we're referring to the right of the reader, i.e. the person standing opposite the one putting on the tefillin, whereas there, in the other b'risa, we're referring to the right of the one who is putting on, who is, who's donning the tefillin, right? So anybody who's ever tried to explain to your young child about right and left knows that it can be confusing what's right what's left right if you're standing opposite somebody is different so the Bryson that says Kaddish is placed on the right that's the first Bryson which we started with is referring to the right and left from the perspective of the one reading the Tefillin um, obviously not actually reading but the one who uh, sort of would be in the position of the one reading it and Kaddish v'hoyo k'viyacha is on his right, so that would be my left, and Shema v'hoyim Shemai would be on his left, which is my right, and the other b'risa, which records it in the opposite order, is talking about from the right and left, from the perspective of my, from my, from the person putting on the tefillin, and then the Gemara, the b'risa finishes v'hakoyrei koyrei kesidron, and in this manner, the reader reads the passages in the order as they appear in the Torah, starting with um, Exodus 13 to the right. So this is how the, the, we've just explained the Gemara the way Rashi explains it. And this is a picture of Tfilin, the way it looks like according to this reading of the Gemara, what we call Rashi's explanation. And you see, this is the front of the Tfilin. So this would be as if I'm facing the person who's wearing them. And I have Kadesh and Vahoyo Kiviyacha on my right. Shema and Vahoya and Shemaya on my left. Again, me facing the person wearing the tefillin. And that way, I th that's what the Gemara means when it finishes off, th that in this manner, the reader reads the passages in their order as they appear in the Torah. Because it's in, in, in that order, Hebrew reads from right to left. So in that manner, it all works out that way. Okay. Now, Rabbeinu Tam asks a Rabbeinu Tam is on, and Taisus on that page of Menachas Taf Lamedalit, and Taisus asks a very interesting question. He says that um, later on in the same chapter of Gemara, in, sorry, in the same sect of Gemara in Menachas, there is a machlokes as to the positioning of um, the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash. So this is the sort of floor plan of the Beis Hamikdash. 
Over here in the back is the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies. And over here, this room over here is called the Heichal, or the Kodesh. And this is, um, and then outside here is the altar, etc. Now, um, in terms of directions, over here is west, right? So, uh, the back of the Kodesh HaKadoshim is west, this is the Kosel HaMaravi, the western wall is right behind here. This is east, this is north, this is south. Now, one of the three things that go over here in the Kodesh is the Menorah. Um, it's not very easy to see in the picture, but this is the, this little thing over here is supposed to be representative of the Menorah. And there is a Machlokas in the Gemara as to the positioning of the Menorah. The Menorah has seven branches. Is the Menorah positioned from right to left, or in the language of the Gemara, from north to south? Or is it positioned front and back in the language of the Gemara from east to west? Those are two opinions in the Gemara. And each opinion, as you can imagine, um, has um, proof to demonstrate its, um, its, uh, its position. Now, um, the position that maintains that the menorah was placed, um, what we would call front to back, east to west, over here, this way, um, argues as follows. The Torah uses the word um, that there is, which Chazal understand to mean that there is one candle uh, or one uh, one lamp, one lamp on the menorah, which is called the, the the lamp in the singular, the lamp that is in front of Hashem, known as the name Aravi. And uh, in the times of the first place of Mikdash, there was the miracle that transpired every day with that lamp that it burnt, uh, even though it in Hashem and Seha, that even though the amount of oil placed in it was the same as the others, um, it burnt for much longer until the next day. Um, that's called the Neir Ma'aravi. So there's one lamp that is the Western one that is the one in front of Hashem, so to speak, right? So that, uh, the opinion who maintains that the menorah was placed in the East-West direction says, well, how, if the menorah would have been placed from East to South, from, sorry, from North to South, then all of the lamps would have been equally close to the West side. Right, so therefore we must say that the menorah was placed east to west, and then there's one lamp that is closest to the west. Says so Rabbi Natan, what do you mean there's one lamp that is closest to the west? If the menorah is placed east to west, then there are three or four, three and a half lamps that are closest to the west. Um, because you have them, you split it in half. Why are you splitting it one and six? It's you split it in half. What? Only one is closest, but, but but it wouldn't be accurate to call it the only to say that only one is on the west, right? So therefore, Rabbi Natam says that we see that from the perspective of halacha, when we want to talk about one direction, um, only one there's one that is the western lamp, and all the rest are. Um, called Eastern lamps. So Rabbi Tam argues, he says, if we are to um, to, um, to to to, to um, carry over that same uh, logic to uh, Bob, you can just move up a little bit, and then you'll have a good view. <laughs> the um, if we are to carry over the same logic to Rash, to sorry, to the order of the parshiyos of the Tfilin, um and like we saw before in the Gemara. Um, that they are right and left, 
we shouldn't be calling two on the right and one on the left. It should be one on the right and three on the left, or one on the left and three on the right. One second. Right? Why, how could the Gemara say that there's two on the right and two on the left? It should be one on the right and three on the left. So therefore, Rabbi Tam argues, he, he says, no, when the Gemara says, Kaddish it doesn't mean that those are two are on the right of the box and those two are on the left of the box. He says, when you're starting from the right, you put Kaddish and and then you sort of walk around, so to speak, and start from the left and put Shema and Shemaya. So you're starting from the right and putting the first two, and then you're starting from the left and putting the second two. And therefore the result is that according to Rabbeinu Tam, you have Kadesh and Vahoyah Kiviyach on this side, and Rashi then said Shema Vahoyah Shemaya. Says Rabbeinu Tam, no, you then you come round to the left and start from the left. So starting from the right, you have those two. Starting from the left, you have those two. And therefore, here you have um, the difference between Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam, again, looking from the front, Rashi goes first, second, third, fourth, which is what we say, which is known as have kesidron. This is very simply in uh, accordance with the um, um, order that they appear in the Torah. Whereas according to Ben Atam, it's one, two, and then four, three, or three, four from that way, right? That's the difference between the Rashi and the Rabbeinu Tam Philin. Now, one of the questions which Rabbeinu Tam is going to have to address uh, is that we saw in the Gemara, the Gemara finishes off a hakoire, koire kesidron, that when you read that, that the Brysa, which tells you how to put it in the Brysa, is torn, referring to right and left from the perspective of the one standing opposite me, the perspective of the one reading it. And <clears throat> and therefore he, he reads it kesidron in the order that they are in the Torah. According to Rabbeinu Tam, it's not in the order of um, the, the in the Torah. It's one, two, four, three. So how does Rabbeinu Tam explain those words of the Gemara? So we're going to get back to that. Sorry, I'm going to, that's in, I'll get back to that in, in, in the Ravid. So the Rabbeinu Tam says, the Rabbeinu Tam says that when the Gemara says, HaKoyri Koyri Kisidron, it doesn't mean that we're, we, we, that the person reading it reads it in the order of the Torah. Hakarikarikasidran is just a way of the Gemara saying that this is why we're talking about the perspective, sort of the, the backwards, right and left, is because we're referring to the perspective of the one reading it. So it's just, it doesn't actually mean to suggest that they are read by the person standing opposite me in the correct order that they appear in the Torah. It just means to say that we are t referring to that perspective. Now, there are um, two other opinions which we're going to discuss, known as Shemushi Rabba 
and Ravid. They are actually also, sometimes they're both known as Shemushi Rabba. They're known as Shemushi Rabba of Rashi and Shemushi Rabba of Rabbeinu Tam. Now, what that means is like this. Um, the Shemushi Rabba's opinion, we'll see soon in more detail, but just basically, is the same as Rashi, that they go in the, in the, in the opinion, in the order that they are in the Torah, but he holds that you don't go right and left from the perspective of the one standing opposite me. He says you go right and left from my own perspective. So it's exactly the same as Rashi, just backwards. And um, here you go. Here you have the picture with the Hebrew. This is Rabbi, this is Moshe Rabbah. It's also Kaddish, exactly the reverse of Rashi. And the Ravid is the same as Rabbi Tam, but also the... The, the opposite. So sometimes in the literature you see Shemushiraba of Rashi and Shemushiraba of Rabinatam, which means because concerning that which perspective do you go right and left, Shemushiraba and Ravid both agree. They both agree that right and left um, goes from my own perspective of the person wearing the tefillin. But um, they, they differ in the order. And again, we're going to have to see how the Shemushiraba and Ravid. Um, we'll understand the Gemara, and uh, and then uh, we'll also discuss the development of the custom and also the history of who wears Musharrab and Ravid and how that works. Okay. Now, the, the the first question that comes up in this whole thing, which of, which is often asked, is well, how do you know how does Rashi and Menatam come up with the machlokes of which order to wear, to wear the tefillin? They they lived a few thousand years after the giving of the Torah. Jews had been wearing tefillin throughout thousands of years already, um, and so as we'll see next week, um, it, it's very obvious that actually these two opinions in the Gemara existed long before Rashi and Minatam. For whatever reason, they became known that you know that's the way Rashi uh, um, explains the Gemara. That's the way Rabbeinu the Gemara so became known as the opinion of Rashi and Rabbeinu but the crux of the issue is, well, what happened? Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Torah. Like there was, there's a chain of tradition. Nothing ever stopped. So, how did there suddenly become such a machlekas? What did Moshe Rabbeinu do? You know, what did? Mo so this is a fascinating question. And the Rebbe has a. Didn't Moshe do it with Chabad? Does just do both? Are you stealing my thumb? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, um, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu did what Chabad does because Moshe Rabbeinu was a Lubavitcher, didn't you know? Yes, of course. Yes. Stupid question, Ari. Um, <laughs> now, but Ari, um, I hope you won't excommunicate me for saying what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> look at this. The Rabbi says as follows. When Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu gave over to the Jews the things which he heard from, ha from Hashem. Whatever he gives over verbatim, this is what God told me, those words are Torah Misenai. And it's prophecy, and of course, that's, that's absolutely sacred, that is the word of God. But then when it comes time to learning it, so the Torah has, like we say every morning in Davening and Gimel Midrash, uh, principles with which to um, uh, with which to expound the Torah and to understand what the Torah means. And in that sense, Moshe Rabbeinu is no different than anybody else. Moshe Rabbeinu can suggest that a Kalvachimer or any of the other 13 or 32 principles with which the Torah is expounded would bring to conclusion A. And Yehoshua bin Nun or someone else can say that they would have come in another way. So 
Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu that these are the four paragraphs that have to go in the tefillin. Now, which order to put them in? Go expound the Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu expounds it one way, and um, others expand it another way. So essentially what the Rebbe is suggesting over here, which is a phenomenal chiddush, is that this machloikus, what we call the machloikus of Rashi Rabbeinu Tam, actually dates all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu, that from time, uh, in, what's the word? Time... Uh, in, in, there's a word for it. Yeah, from, from the giving, from the very giving of the Torah, um, uh, this has been, uh, this has been, um, uh, there's been t- these two valid opinions, or possibly four valid opinions, if you want to count Shemushirabba and Ravid. Um The question is actually not unique to to to, to fill in. Um, Dafyomi, those who learned Dafyomi recently learned in Pesach in the story of the Bnei Beseira, where um, Arab Pesach fell on Shabbos and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know if they were allowed to bring the Karim Pesach on Shabbos. It's called the Bnei Becerra, and they came to Hillel and Hillel was able to expound that to them through he proved from the Torah that uh, he was able to uh, uh, that you do bring the Pesach on Shabbos and this was Hillel's um, raise, um rise to fame and to glory uh, to become one of the leaders of Kali Yisrael was because of this story. And also that is Yerushalmi, the commentaries are very disturbed by this, like it doesn't seem to it, it, according to the to the calendar, and I think this if I'm not mistaken, this was even the case before we had a fixed calendar when they were Mekadosh HaKadosh HaPiharia when they sanctified the Numen based on the testimony of witnesses, it was impossible the, the maximum amount of time that there could be without the Arab Pesach falling on Shabbos I think it says in the Yerushalmi was 14 years. It must. I think nowadays, actually, with the fixed calendar, I think it's more. I think it's possible for that to be 20 years without Arab uh, Pesach falling on Shabbos. But I think, the, if I recall correctly, it says in the Yerushalmi over there that I don't remember this from the Yerushalmi. Don't worry. But from what I remember reading about this, that the maximum is 14 years. So in the entire Klal there was nobody who remembered that you bring the Karim Pesach on Arab Shabbos, right? So this is a question that comes up. And a number of different areas. Now, the Rebbe brings here quotes, um, two stories. I'll say the stories from the backwards up. Um, the first story, uh, the Rebbe says this is the second story, but, but the first story is the story of the Tzemach Tzedek. It's a story which the Rebbe told, I believe, many times, that the Tzemach Tzedek once said a mimer, he delivered a mimer. And after he delivered the mimer, there was the Chassidim, what's called the Chayzim, were reviewing the teaching of the Tzemach Tzedek. And um, there became a machlokes between Rabbi Hillel Parachah, who was one of the uh, elderly chassidim, who was already a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, and the Mittler Rebbe, and this published his own memory, who was a great tzaddik and a great sage. And he had a machlokes, a difference of opinion between with some of the other chassidim as to what the exact pshat, what the what, what the meaning, how to understand what the Tzemach Tzedek said. So they said, let's go and ask the Tzemach Tzedek. Uh, himself. Let's let's say what he and let's see. Let's ask him. So they went and asked the Tzemach Tzedek, and the Tzemach Tzedek said, uh, agreed with the other chayyim, those who were different than Rabbi Parasha. And Rabbi Parasha said that I'm sorry. When the Rebbe delivers the mimer, so that's like shchinim adaberes mitoch grading. When the Rebbe delivers a mimer, it's so to speak some a, a divine revelation. This is being taught the word the words of the living God. But after the Maimar has been delivered, now it's so to speak canonized as a part of Torah. And now the rabbi could say Pshat, I could say Pshat. He has no uh, 
his prat is no uh, more superior than mine. So obviously it's a tremendous chiddush to say the same thing about Moshe Rabbeinu. But the Rebbe also quotes another story. This story is very controversial, and if you look, um, yesterday the the the, the Brisker Rosh Hashiva passed away. If you look in some of the traditions in Brisk, they have very sharp things to say about this story. But nevertheless, this is a story that was published in a sefer called Seder Hadiris, which is a, um, a sefer published already a few hundred years ago, and it's a, an accepted sefer by Kali Sral. And over there, in the year Dalad Alof and Tov Tov Kuf Lamed, this is in the under the entry for the year four thousand nine hundred and thirty. Uh, four, 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 nine, three, zero. Um, under his discussion, uh, he said that there is he has a brief, very brief biography of all the uh, sages of the Jewish people over the generations. So he has his entry on Rabbeinu Tam, and uh, in the entry of Rabbeinu Tam, he records it with great detail a um, fascinating and possibly even shocking story about a machlokas between Rabbeinu Tam and Moshe Rabbeinu. And he says that uh, there's a machloikas also in the Gemara Menachas about whether or not you have to make the knot of the tefillin every day. Um, I think I think the machloikas is about the head tefillin um, or, or not. Obviously, we don't. Uh, well, the Chabad hand tefillin we do according to anyway, whatever. But uh, basically, it's a very long story with lots of details about a Novi and this Malach and then this Rabbi Liyol of Paris and Rabbi Natam. Anyway, Rabbeinu, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu brings many proofs for his opinion, and Rabbeinu Tam refutes them, and Moshe Rabbeinu argues back, and then they come for another day. It's a very, it's a whole long story here, and Rabbeinu Tam is insisting that he argues with Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says that uh, you do have to do it every day, and Rabbeinu Tam says you don't have to do it every day, and then at the at the very end of the story is. Um, that they were going on and on in this pill until Rabbeinu Tam stood up and he was very upset. And he stood up and he cried out in a great voice and he says, Moshe Rabbeinu, all of Hashanah read, Moshe Rabbeinu, sit down. And he screamed this three times until Moshe Rabbeinu sat down. And he said, I maintain that uh, you don't have to tie the knot of the tefillin every day and that you did not command this in the Torah that you received from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Moshe Rabbeinu, in the end, um, admitted, in the end, Moshe Rabbeinu conceded to Rabbeinu Tam, and he left. So, whatever we're to make of this story, and again, it, it's certainly a controversial story, but the Rebbe uh, mentioned it and certainly accepts the legitimacy of the Seder HaTairus. So the Rebbe said, so it's not so crazy to suggest that indeed, um, the the that 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 this machlokas about the order of the parshiyos and the tefillin dates all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, similarly, as uh, we've discussed in the past, famously, perhaps we'll review this in a little bit more detail next week when we talk about the history of of the different uh, tefillin that have been found over the years. But um, the famous entry in Shalos Tshuvas Min Hashemayim. Which actually, Shasachos Benishamayim was written by a colleague of Rabbeinu Tam. Um, it, it, it seems that at times it was even mistakenly attributed to Rabbeinu Tam himself. But Shasachos Benishamayim was written by a, a one of the French Baliatoisers, and he used to ask questions and get answers in his dream. And in towards the beginning, in Simon Gimel, he asks the question, "Who is right, Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam?" 
he doesn't say the names, he just explains the thing. And um, the answer he gets is that there is a similar, just like there is a machlokes. Um, in this world, there's a machlokes in the higher world, in the in, in the Yeshiva Shalmaila, that Hakadosh Baruch Hu says Havayis beEmtza that the two Bahayas, Bahayu Kiviyachah, Bahayim Shemayim in the middle, so that's like a Benatam, and um, the other and and the Pamali Shalmaila, the rest of the Yeshiva Shalmaila argue with Hakadosh Baruch Hu and they say uh, like Rashi. Um, again, Shalos Tzumas Min Shemayim is a sefer that is widely accepted by Klal Yisrael to be a legitimate sefer. And again, we see um, that uh, th- this machloikas about how to set up the tefillin is something which has been, um, uh, you know, based all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu, currently in Yeshiva Shalmailah, there's Eilu Ve'elu Divri Lekim Chaim, there are the two opinions. And all of this, of course, feeds very nicely into our custom that everyone wears Rashi and Rabbeinotam, because even though the halacha is like Rashi, but... Judaism isn't just about halacha. There's more to Judaism than just halacha. And um, on a more, on a, on a deeper level, um, there seems to be a strong uh, an argument to say that both of these opinions have always been, um, ha- had had legitimacy. Okay. Now, we mentioned before the Shemushi Rabba. Let's look at that in a little bit more detail. So, the Shemushi Rabba. Um, and put these two slides backwards here. And the rush, the rush, uh, the hilchas tefillin. Uh, in the end, the menachas has the laws of tefillin. And then at the end, he says, "Mishlemu hilchas tefillin." The finished laws of tefillin. And now I'm going to write the laws of tefillin that I found from the goin, and they are called shemusha rabba. So for many years, it wasn't known who the shemusha rabba is. It was just the rush quoting it from a goin, and um, and. Uh, and he called he called them Shemush Rabba. Now it is commonly accepted. Okay, so so just uh, what what is going now in in, in today's language? A going means a genius, but actually the the word going um, literally means pride. And the the Ga'inim originally refers to we have the Tanoim, which are the sages of the Mishnah, then we have the Amiraim, which are the sages of the Gemara. The next bunch of generations after the completion of the Talmud are called the generation of the Go'inim. The Go'inim were the Rosh Yeshivas, the leaders of the Yeshivas in, in Bavel, in Babylonia, in, in Surah and Pimpadisa were the names of the two cities, were called Go'inim. And um, the reason they were called Go'inim, I think the most common understanding is because yeah, I believe the main reason they were called Go'inim was because the, 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 the most Again, the, the the suggestion that's the most popular is that the name of the yeshiva um, was Goin Yaakov, which is a phrase in the pasuk, which means the pride of Jacob. So, because they were the leaders of the yeshiva, called the pride yeshivas Goin Yaakov, so they became known, known as Goin, and that developed the etymology is that, that that developed into what we know today that Goin means a genius because they were the Rosh yeshiva, they were Goinim. Okay, so the second of the Goinim is known as Rav Sar Shalim Goin, um, you can see here the brief history, Sar Shalim Goin, he was the Goin of Surah from 838 to 848, um, prolific writer, etc., etc. So it is commonly accepted that the Shemushi Rabbah was written by um, the Goin, Rav Sar Shalim Goin. Now in the laws of Shemushi Rabbah, that the Rosh brings from the Shemushi Rabbah, there are a number of laws which he brings in Tefillin, which seem to be which don't seem to have any 
source in the Talmud. Um, so let's go through them. Number one, he says that the tefillin should be, ideally, he says it doesn't, it just doesn't have to be, but ideally, you, he says when you make the tefillin, you should make a wooden mold that should be two etzba two by two etzba. And etzba is a measurement, which is the width of your um, of the the middle joint of the thumb. And um, we, 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 in, in today's terms, we translate that as being two centimeters, which is a little bit less than an inch. So the Shavush Rabbah says, again, he explicitly says that it doesn't have to be, but it's just best if it is, that the tefillin be two 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 boys by two boys. Now, another Chiddush that he says is, we know that on the side of the tfil, head tefillin, there is a shin. There's a shin imprinted on the tefillin on each side. The Shemush Rabbah says a phenomenal Chiddush, and this Chiddush is actually accepted amongst all communities. As far as I know, there's no community in Kali Yisrael that doesn't uh, abide by this opinion of the Shemush Rabbah. And that is that on the, the shin of the right side is a regular shin, as you see here, with three you know, heads. And the shin on the left is a shin with four heads. Um, I think the, one of the ways of understanding it is that it's as if it's an it's as if it's an engraved chin. So you're looking at the three things on the inside. Whatever it is, this is widely accepted, and you can see here in the picture. This is the way the Sfardim make a shin three and four. This is the way the Ashkenazim do it. This is the way the Chassidim do it. Actually, the Alter Rebbe is a little bit different. Um, but we all have on the right of our tefillin a shin with three heads. On the left of our tefillin a shin with four heads. This is something which again the entirety of Klal Yisrael does and has no mentioned whatsoever in the Talmud, the first source for it is the Shemush Rabbah. Now, what about, um, okay, the third Chiddush of the Shemush Rabbah is that he says, um, he, he records the, to do it like Rashi, but he says it in the backwards order. He says, you should write the four parashas, um, uh, roll them up, and then he says, you put you put the first parasha of Kadesh in the, in the right one, right? But again, he's talking about the person himself. It's on my right. And, and then the next one, da -da -da, exactly the same as Rashi, but just right to left from my own perspective of the person wearing this filling up from the person facing me. Those are the three chidushim of the thing. Now, the, the, the just going back to the first chidush that it should be two etzboys by two etzboys. So it's interesting. That one is, is mentioned in Shulchan Aruch as well. And here, it's, I brought it from the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. The Go'inim prescribe uh, again, this is referring to Rav, the Shemusha Rabba, Rav Sar Shalom Goyen, that the initial preferred option is that the compartments of the head film be it's ba'ayim and it's ba'ayim, two finger breaths or two finger breaths. Now, in modern, uh, colloquially, those tefillin that are four by four, two by two, we call them four by four because it's we're talking about centimeters. So if you say to somebody you want to get dala dal dala tefillin or four by four tefillin, that means four centimeters. The, the, the objective isn't actually four centimeters. The objective is two at spice. We just that's how we call it. Now it's very interesting because uh, just to digress a little bit because this is referring really to the head tefillin. Right? The head filling should be two heads spice by two heads spice. Though even if they're smaller, they're not qualified. And the Alter Rebbe finishes off that one should be one should be mindful of this, even though it is not the popular custom. Right? So even though it's not the popular custom to do this, Alter Rebbe says one should do it. Now, what's very interesting about the Chabad custom in this is that it's explicit in the Alter Rebbe that this Milgenhag is only for the head filling. Whereas for the hand fill-in is that it should be smaller. Yeah, the initial preference for the cube of the arm fill-in is that it should be one finger breadth by one finger breadth. 
But yet the Chabad custom is that we do both the same. Now, the truth is that just having them both the same isn't such a Chiddush because that's another idea. There is an idea brought that it's the beauty of the tefillin that the head and the hand tefillin should be the same size. And indeed, that is, as far as I know, most commonly worldwide accepted practice nowadays, at least, that everyone has the hand and the head tefillin the same size. I think in, the truth is that in the olden days, when they didn't have such sophisticated systems of making the tefillin, it was much more common to have much bigger tefillin, and it was probably also more common that the head and the hand tefillin didn't match exactly. But um, the Chabad custom is that we have the hand and tefillin, the head tefillin the same size, and we have them both what we call dollar the dollar. Now, the reason why this is such a tremendous chiddush is because it it's very challenging to correctly fulfill the hand um, tefillin properly with that size tefillin because the ideal place um, of placing the hand tefillin is, first of all, the lowest point of the tefillin should be uh, raised above the elbow. It has to be on the muscle. So you see over here is his, um, yeah, here's the elbow, right? But he can't, the lowest spot of the tefillin can't come all the way down to the elbow. This is where the lowest spot of the tefillin, a hand tefillin have to be. Now, the highest part of the tefillin, so the, the truth is the muscle goes all the way till here, right? But at least the highest part of the tefillin should be no more than the midpoint of that, of that muscle or of the bone, right? So when you have big tefillin, big hand tefillin, when you have big head tefillin, it doesn't matter. As long as it's in the middle of your head, you're fine. When you have big hand tefillin, it can be very challenging to put it in the right place. And by the way, I should mention also, there's this strap of the tefillin. The, the default would be when you put it on that it might sort of... Ex the way, you know, the way you maneuver your hand as you put them on, the default would be that this strap might sort of diagonal extend this way to beyond the halfway point. And that's something that one should be mindful of when putting on fill-in, that as much as possible, that strap should be go straight round and not lean upward so that you should keep it on the lower half of your muscle. Now, for most full-grown adults, it, it works. It's tight, you have to be, you sort of get used to doing it exact, but it works. But it's more problematic, here, I just put in another picture here. There you go again, right? Again, this is a small tefillin. We have much bigger tefillin, but the lowest point is coming. There's some space over there, and this is the midway point. And he has all of the straps of the tefillin underneath that point, right? Um, so if you look at a bar mitzvah boy, it's uh, highly unlikely that he's going to get the Chabad-sized tefillin to fit on that size of his arm. And indeed, within Chabad, you, do, you will find um, select few um, people who were who i've seen a number of people who have done this it's, it's it's one of these polemics that comes up every few years in the various journals and everybody's has very passionate opinions about it but there that that to to get the hand fill in for the bar mitzvah boy should be smaller so that it fits properly in that size and then as they their body grows you know in the later teen years um to replace it with a bigger box some people do do that but there's no denying that the widespread custom in Lubavitch is that everybody gets big tefillin and we rely on the opinion that the entire area of that muscle is kosher for tefillin, not just the bottom half of it. Now, the truth is that what we call dalad al-dalad, the Chabad-sized tefillin, I think they're actually sometimes even a bit bigger than four centimeters or four centimeters, but um, there are many people who um, are also careful about that idea of Shemashir to put them uh, 
to make big tefillin, but they measure it a little bit differently. There's four, three parts of the tefillin. There's this part over here, which is the bias, that's the main box of the tefillin. Then there's uh, this part over here, which is called the titura, the base of the tefillin. And then the back part over here, where the strap goes through, is called the ma'abarta, which means the pass-through. Um, so there are many Jews who are makbid to have tefillin dalal dalal, to have them, like Shemusha Rabbi says, two exploits by two exploits, but they don't measure it just from the bias, they measure it including the base of the tefillin, right? The Chabad custom is that it should be dollar, it should be two exploits, um, um, only the bias. That's why our tefillin are much larger than other tefillin that you might see. I think that the Alter Rebbe does say in the Kuntus Achran that even though in the Shulchan Aruch that we saw he says only the head fill and not the hand fill in, it could be that already in Kuntus Achran he says something also about the hand fill. I don't remember exactly. Now the truth is that historically um, there was no Historically, we don't find that people were Makhmed on Dalad. Dalad, the first reference that we find of anyone being Makhmed is the Arizal. And in the Priyas Chaim, he writes that the Arizal used to have tefillin like Shemushi Rabba. He says, like Shemushi Rabba, like Rashi. Now, those words are actually very interesting. We'll, we'll get back to them in a moment. And he says the Arizal would wear those tefillin every day for Mincha. He would wear tefillin for Mincha of Shemushi Rabba. But the main thing he says for Shemushi Rabba is the size. That the Arizal would wear, quote, regular tefillin, small tefillin, for his regular tefillin, and then he had special tefillin, which was Shemushi Rabbit tefillin, which were very big, and those are the ones he would wear for Bidah. Okay, now let's get back to the, perhaps the biggest chiddush of the Shemushi Rabbah, that the order of the tefillin, you count right and left from the perspective of the one wearing the tefillin, not like Rashi, who says, you, like the simple reading of the Gemara, that you do it from the perspective of the one facing the person wearing the tefillin. Already right over there in the rush, he says, Vahai Milsa to Usa Rabbi. This is a he brings this is quoting, I think, the, the Ravmi Kurd Barcelona, some rabbi from Barcelona, that um that, that, that this is a tremendous mistake. And he even suggests after the Havatos at first, perhaps it's a typo. Perhaps it's he's not he says the Sashon didn't make the mistake, perhaps it's just a typo and 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 and, uh, and the the Rasha Sholem never never um never meant to say this. That you should put the tefillin from the right to left from the perspective of the person uh, wearing it. Um, now, throughout history, we don't really find that Rashi um, was accepted as a third opinion. Now, even in the Arizal, mentioned I mentioned before that the Piyutz Chaim writes that the Arizal used to wear tefillin of Shemushirabba, but he says over there that he the Arizal asked that they should make for him tefillin of Shemushirabba like Rashi. That were two exploits by two exploits. Now there's two ways to understand that. You could say that he means Shemushirabba like Rashi, meaning to make the tefillin exactly the same as Rashi, but referring to them as Shemushirabba because of the size was two by two by two. Or you could understand it to mean Shemushirabba like Rashi. You know the Shemushirabba that you go from right to left from my own perspective. Like Rashi and not like Rabbeinu Tam, right? Because again, there's, there's Rashi Rabbeinu Tam, which is what, do you go one, two, three, four, or one, two, four, three? And then there's another Machloikas, do you go from my own right or from the right of the person facing me? 
Um, so it's it, even in the Arizal himself, it's not explicit that he that the Arizal wards Philip of Shemush and Rabba that 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 were from the perspective of the person wearing them the right side. Um, however, there is the first one, the first person who very strongly um, established the agenda that the Shemush Rabba was is actually a, th- a, 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 a distinct opinion from Rashi. The truth is, the Rav Barcelona says there's two mistakes in the Torah, so in, in the Shemush Rabba. One is the right, the left, and the other is because he holds that you have to put one, two, four, three, like a minute time. But either way, the, the Ramah Mipano, Rabbi Nachman Zari Mipano, was a very, you can see here, he lived in the 1548 to 1620 in Italy. He was a very well known and prominent scholar, both in Halacha and in Kabbalah. And uh, you can see it says here, um, he was a patron of learning when Abiyos of Cairo, shortly before his death, sent the Kassav Mishnah, his commentary on the Rambam, to, to Rabbi Nachman Azariah of Pano. Um, to, 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 I think he edited it. Rabbi Nachman Azariah of Pano was very wealthy. At a young age, he received an inheritance. And um, so he was influential in publishing the Kassav Mishnah, and I think also editing it, maybe. And also the Ramak, which is a, which is a very important Kabbalah sefer. Which Ramanach Mazaria, the Ramam Pano, um, was the Paradis Ramonim, the, the, the Paradis. Yeah, that he was very um, influential. So, anyway, the Ramam Pano is a very prominent and authoritative scholar, both in Halacha and in Kabbalah. And he has a very lengthy chuva where he goes through this and he insists that actually the Shumish Rabbah is, it's, uh, it d- does maintain, like Rashi, that it's one, two, three, four, but it's from right to left, from my own perspective, not from the person facing me. Okay. Sorry? Yeah, it's two separate things. It's not, uh, um, now, if you look, okay. So the big question which we have to address is, well, how do they understand the Gemara? We saw the Gemara says before that, um, that, that, that this price is be min and um, right from the the the, the, the that talks about where you put it is talking from the right and left from the perspective of the one facing me about Before we go there, let's just look quickly at the rivet. So the um, the Rambam, this is the laws of Rambam, Hilchas Tefillin, chapter three, halacha hey, five where he says the order of the tefillin exactly like Rashi, and he says, uh, you know, and if, if you, the order, if their order is altered, they're not acceptable, right? Now, the Ravid, he doesn't like this, and he says, He says like this, the Ravid says that um, he, he, he says Bichal, the, the reading of the Gemara doesn't sound like the Rambam, it sounds like the other way around that the, you know, that that Bryce is talking from the right, that Bryce is talking from the left but the interesting things that he says is that when it says that the one reading them reads them in order, it's not referring to the whole um, to the whole thing, 
that you read all of them in order. It's talking specifically about Shema Vahayim Shema because if you remember, the, the Ravid is the same as Rabbeinu Tam, but backwards. Right? The order is one, two, four, three, but it's from my own perspective. So one is on my right, then two, then four, then three. So he says that, he says like this, Kaddish you start putting in Kaddish V'yacha from the right side. Um, then you go to the left and you put in the last two, Vahoyim Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 11, Shema, sorry, Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Vahoyim Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Havayis Bemta. Vahakoyre, the one reading it, reads those last two in order. Those last two, according to the Rivet, he's going right to left from my perspective. So from my perspective, it's one, two, four, three. Those last two, from the Koyre's perspective, from the perspective of the person standing opposite me, are read in the order they appear in the Torah, three and four, Shema, and then Vahoyim Shema. Yeah? So that's what the Ravid says. Uh, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't work according to the Shumash Rabba. According to the Shumash Rabba, Vahoyim um, Shema uh, doesn't seem to make any sense. What do you mean the reader reads them in their order? Okay, you can see here the Ravid is very passionate about this. He says this in very strong language, as he often does. Tema, um, right? And he says, why, and why would the Gemara, according to Rashi or the Rambam, why would the Gemara tell me the perspective of the reader? What, what's the relevance of the, why are we talking about something? Why is that relevant? Why is the Gemara telling me that the reader reads it from the, in order? Who's talking about the reader? You're talking about the person setting up his tefillin, right? In my own right. Like, obviously, why? Okay. Um, now, Okay, so what do we, so the Ramami Pano suggests like this that he says that actually the Shumushir Abba had an alternative reading in the Gemara, and it's interesting that the reading that he suggests has two differences, and this is also the way it appears in the riff. Um, like this Tanarabaran, Ketzat Soidran, Kadesh Vahayakaviachabim in the riff records is also a, a halachic uh, coder, you've got the, the first ones probably, uh, the first one. And he just take he just so to speak copies and pastes the Gemara, but he doesn't take the whole shackle of Atari, the whole to and fro discussion, just the bottom line halacha. So he quotes this brisa, and he and you see that those words are not found over here, right? That's it. next Gemara. So the Ramam Pano suggests that the Shemusha Rabbah had the reading of the Gemara the same as the Rift that didn't have at all. Uh, those uh, those words and that he suggests that those words were actually some some somebody you know they were a note on the side of the Gemara which some publisher or some editor you know accidentally cut and pasted into the text of the Gemara but they don't belong there. Now another important difference to notice over here is that over here the words in our Gemara are Ketzad Sidron, which accurately translates as what how is or what is the order of the of, of the tefillin. If you look in the riff, it says Ketzad Soidron, which translates as how does one arrange them? Now in this in this English translation, they translated it like that, right? Now, if you say what is the order, then 
it's feasible to say that when you say right and left, you may be speaking right and left from the perspective of the person facing me. But if you say Kate at Sodra and how does one arrange it, it seems more to suggest that you're talking about I'm I'm putting on my and I'm arranging them. How does one do it? You do it right and left. Then it makes more sense to be speaking from my own perspective. And the Ramami Pano says that this is where the um one second, but this is where the the the, the how do you call it the the Shemushiraba gets his opinion from. Are these the like it will be solved when the Shek comes? When the Shek comes, everyone's going to wear Rashi Abedin I, I It could even be that the Rebbe says so explicitly that, that I have to check that up. But next week, we're going to focus more on the, the history of who, said, who, who, who did what and who, who said what and the different customs and how they developed and specifically how they developed the custom today that um, the Chabad custom, certainly that everybody should wear both. Um, and there were some there were some people the Rebbe spoke about it, four pairs. The Rabbeim themselves wore four pairs of tefillin. Um, and it's actually found in the Hayyim Yom of Yutas Menachemov because the, it's important to point out that Shemushi Rabba, the different is the same as the hand fillin for Shemushi Rabba are exactly the same as Rashi because the hand fillin are all written on one scroll. So you write one, two, three, four. Or, and according to Amenotam, you write one, two, four, three. The difference is only in the Sharoish where they're separate things. And the question is, which goes on the right and which goes on the left? So for those who wear four pairs of tulin, the way they do it is, and this is in the Hayom Yom of Yutas Barachimov, that they wear um, first Rashi, and they take off the head tulin of Rashi and put in the head tulin of Shemushiraba. Then they take the, the whole thing and they say the Shema. Then they take it off and they put on Rebbe Thomas Tfilin. And then they take off the head of Rebbe Thomas Tfilin and put on the head of the Rebbe Tfilin and, uh, and, and say the Shema again. There is no hand Tfilin for Rebbe or hand Tfilin for Shemushirabba. Now, the Rebbe himself we did, was actually sort of discovered to be doing this in the days of the Shiva of his father-in-law, the Friedrich Rebbe, where somebody noticed that... Uh, Anyway, the rabbi explained then, it's published, I think, in the back of the Kutasichas, volume two, that the, the rabbi said that to, to wear the four pairs of tefillin is a tremendous spiritual responsibility and that he was afraid to do it, but his father-in-law, the Friedrich Rebbe, told him to do it and that he, he, namely the Friedrich Rebbe, took responsibility, whatever that means, he took it on his own shoulders, the rabbi said, the responsibility for the rabbi doing that. Um, general... In general, the, the practice that the Rebbe encouraged Chassidim was to wear two pairs of tefillin, not four pairs of tefillin. What are we doing? I don't like that developing <laughs> Okay, well, we're finishing. Thank you. Uh, Next uh, yeah. Um, and thank you. Um, and uh, I, I actually have another camera. I just have too much going on today. Um, the, um, where was I? And um, I, I actually like this. I, 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 I don't remember right now the source for this, or I don't have it clearly, but I do remember seeing or hearing that if you wear your tefillin backwards, then b'diyavad your yoytza. So if, if, if you were to put your Rashi, it wouldn't work because the strap was on the other side. But even according to Rashi, if by accident you did four, three, two, one, instead of one, two, three, four, it would be good enough. So when we wear Rashi tefillin, we're yoytz the mitzvah according to Shemushi Rabba, and we wear Rabbi Thomas tefillin, we're yoytz the mitzvah according to Rabbi. As Nachlas Aklal is a general rule, the Rabbi made it very clear that wearing four pairs of tefillin is a tremendous responsibility that is not to be 
uh, you know, that the Rebbe says even he himself only did it after he was assured by his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, that he took, you know, that he took the responsibility for it. But nevertheless, there were select few chassidim um, in our generation uh, who, whom the Rebbe, um, whom the Rebbe did uh, allow or possibly even instruct to wear four pairs of tefillin. I know of Rebbe Baruch Paris who passed away at, at a young age, but uh, he was one of them. And there are certainly one or two others that I know of, um, and possibly some more as well. Um, but that's certainly not. But through, from the Chabad Rabbeim, already we find evidence that the Tzemach Tzedek certainly, and possibly even earlier than that, that they wore four pairs of tefillin. And like I said, it's interesting because, see, this is a mistake. I, 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 I so we today, the way the Rebbe referred to it, and Rabbi those are the four pairs. But often they were just referred to as Shumusharaba, the Shumusharaba of Rashi, Shumusharaba of Benotam. Shumusharaba was just a way to say, you, tr- you go from my own right, not from the right of the person standing opposite me. Um, so, for example, I once read a story about Rabbi Yitzhak Abaditchev who wore three pairs of tefillin, Rashi, Benotam, Shumusharaba. And I wondered what, why was he only wearing three? Why not four? Like if you're doing it, do the whole right. But I think that it was a mistake. The Rebbeinu probably did wear four pairs of tefillin, but he both of those other ones were referred to as Shmushiraba. And in, there's a book called Mebeis Agnosim that was published recently, where where eleven um, uh, put like pictures of artifacts from the from the Rabbeim. And he writes over there that on the you know the Rabbeim, I don't know which Rebbe it's from, had a bag for the Shmushiraba tefillin. And they were both of the tefillin were referred to as Shemushirabu. You could look also in Hayom Yom. There's another place in the month of Iyar in Hayom Yom where it talks about Shemushirabu tefillin and not about Rivet tefillin. And again, presumably, um, it's talking, it's talking about um, both both of those two, just in, generically as Shemushirabu. Um, okay, so that's the end for today. We'll Miyat Hashem next week uh, continue with um, some fascinating historical um, discoveries and polemics. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.